Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, Genesis chapter 16, and I'm going to start reading from verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt, in the, in, uh, had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Um, you know, sometimes, I'm not a big football guy, but you guys, a lot of you guys like watching football. And, and isn't it fun to, like, quarterback from this, your recliner, you know, you're like, ah, oh, man, that guy, should have done this or whatever. We have the luxury this morning of looking at this chapter in the story of Abram and Sarai's life and doing some armchair quarterbacking. Well, he should have done that. He should have done, you know, we have that luxury. But, you know, this morning, what I want to do, just taking a look at the scripture, is I want us to put ourselves in their sandals, okay? We're going to walk a mile in their sandals this morning and just kind of like maybe we can grasp something or understand something about our our lives and the situations we face you know according to verse three there it says that this the story that we're reading this morning took place um, after abram and sarah had been in the land of promise for 10 years 10 years that's a long time to be waiting for a child abram was 75 years old when he left haran to go to canaan Ten years have elapsed. He's now 85 years old. We know from scriptures that Sarai was 10 years younger than Abram, which means that she was 75 years old. And they've been in this land of promise. God has said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He's mentioned their descendants in a lot of different places, and they still have no child. I mean, what would you do in that situation? Put yourself into their, to their shoes. You know, it's actually been longer than 10 years that they had the promise because the Bible tells us even before they were in Haran, when back when, when Abram was in Mesopotamia, God had already spoke to Abram and said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. God had already promised it. So however long they were in Haran, we don't really know. But it was longer than 10 years that they had this promise of children. And yet... They don't have any children, right? Uh, when they came back into Canaan, remember they took that detour into Egypt for a while. Once they came back into Canaan, God once more spoke to Abram, and he elaborated on his promise. That, at that point, he's, he's like, look around. This land you're standing on, this is what I'm going to give to your descendants. Last week, we were in chapter 15, and as we get to chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abram. And uh, he said, and he reveals even more about his descendants. He said they'd be strangers in a foreign land. Well, we know that was to be Egypt. They'd be there for about 400 years, which is what happened. The Lord said in the fourth generation, they would return to the land of promise. So, you know, that, you know, think about it now. Let's put ourselves in, God, I don't know if God wears sandals, but let's put ourselves and look at how God views this. You know what the scripture tells us? For God's, I mean, as God gave these promises, it was a done deal. 
It wasn't like, well, this is gonna, this might happen. It's a done deal. Listen to this. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none, uh, no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So God's given this promise, 10 years is nothing to the Lord, right? A thousand years is nothing to the Lord. It's like a day to him. And so as far as God's concerned, it's a done deal. But from Sarah's point of view, now we're going to take, take a look at Sarah. Hey, it's been over 10 years. I'm not getting any younger, and we still have no child. And you know what Sarah, Sarah I, I call her Sarah I, because I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it, but at this point, she's Sarah I. She mistook not now for no. Have you ever done that when God's told you something you've, and his answer is not now? And it's like, oh, God's not going to do it. And so we mistake not now for no. And so what did she do? Look at verse 2. Sarah said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. When we read this, it's like, whoa, that is, that's bizarre. That's gross. That's like, what? How can this be in the Bible? But you know what? This was culturally a normal thing in that culture at that time. Apparently, it was a normal thing. And uh, so it wasn't that bizarre to them. For us, it's like, that's really bizarre. But then we're told that Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Now we get to do some armchair uh, quarterbacking. What should Abram have considered before heeding the voice of Sarai? Back in chapter 15, when God was elaborating on his promises uh, to Abram and Sarai, in verse 4 of chapter 15, remember Abram said, Hey, what are you going to give me, Lord? I only have, I don't have any descendants, and all my, all my stuff's going to go to this Eliezer of Damascus, the, this guy that was born in my house. He's a good servant and everything, but, you know, it's, he's not my relative. He's not my son. It's all going to go to him. What are you going to give me? And the Lord says in verse 4 of chapter 15 one who will come from your own body shall be your heir from your own body now then in the king james version it's from your own bowels and it means basically from you in the hebrew by the way that word can also be translated womb now we know that abram didn't have a womb right if you've got if you know your biology you know that abram could not have and would not have physically born a child but what God is promising is that Abram's heir would be a blood descendant of his. It would be one of his natural children. You know, here's another thing that Abram maybe should have considered. Back in the Garden of Eden, when God had instituted marriage for the very first time, God had told Adam that husband and wife become one flesh when they marry. So when God says, hey, one's going to come from your own body, he means from your flesh, right? Eve was his flesh. They were one flesh. So he should have considered that the Lord would fulfill his promise through Abram's wife, Sarai. There's another thing Abram should have considered. Remember when they took that detour, they left Canaan? There was a famine in the land, and so, you know, Abram had all these people to feed, and, and uh, you know, there was just, uh, what do you do? You have all, all the cattle, all the animals, you got, you know, everything that he's responsible for all that. So he goes, well, let's go down to Egypt. They got food. So they go down to Egypt, and uh, 
they're down there. And as he's going down there, remember, he got fearful because he either had heard about what, Egypt, what uh, the pharaohs did in Egypt or he just knew about it, that they, if they saw a woman that they liked, they would take him and they would kill the husband, basically, and take the wife. So he's like, hey, if we get down there, tell him you're my sister because, you know, it saved my life. Tell him you're my sister. And uh, they do that. And lo and behold, Pharaoh takes uh, Sarai as his wife. And he thinks that Abram is Sarai's brother. So he wants to treat his future brother-in-law pretty good. So he starts giving him all kinds of stuff. Uh, But what Abram should have considered at the end of that story, God had prevented Pharaoh from defiling Sarah for a reason. There must have been a reason behind it. There must have been a reason. He should have considered that. But again, they're in the land of promise. It's been over 10 years and they still have no child. You know, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 through 31, it says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail, or fall, excuse me. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Abram should have waited on the Lord. But rather than waiting on the Lord, Sarah's plan, hey, rationally, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. But you see, her suggestion is not from faith. It's from the flesh. It was a foolish attempt to complete a work of the Spirit by the deeds of the flesh. And you know, if we're honest with ourselves, don't we do that all uh, frequently in our own lives? You know, maybe we start out waiting on the Lord to do something, but he doesn't do it as fast as we think he should, and we mistake not now for no, or we take action into our own hands. This is exactly what Sarai did. See, it's easy for us to sit back and go, man, I can't believe that they did that. But you know what? Put yourself into their shoes or their sandals. We might have done the same thing, especially if it was a culturally normal thing. I mean, right now in our culture, no, we wouldn't have done that, right? That's bizarre. But back then, we might have done the same thing. It's really easy to be hard on these people, but but we need to examine our own lives. And so, Abram heeded the voice of his wife, Sarah. Now, this wasn't good, as as it'll bear out. It's not good. But you know what's interesting is later on, in a different situation, Abram is not going to heed his wife, Sarah's advice. And the Lord's going to say, Abram, listen to your wife. It's like, if you're a husband here this morning, you can relate to me. It's like, when do I do it? When do I not? I mean, it's like, you know, what do you do? Listen, back in the Garden of Eden, Adam was rebuked uh, by the Lord himself for heeding the voice of his wife, Eve, when he shouldn't have. Remember that? Remember that story? Genesis chapter 3. So for a guy here, a husband, when should a husband not heed the voice of his wife? When should we not heed the voice of our wife? Or when should we heed the voice of our wife? Well, I'm going to share some things with you. But first of all, I want to say something right off the bat. I believe what I'm about to share with you applies not only to husbands, but also to wives, okay? It applies to both. 
husbands and wives. Now, in in Adam's case, heeding the voice of Eve, if you recall that story in Genesis chapter 3, it was a compromise of obedience to God's command. Remember, God said, you know, you can eat anything you want, but not the fruit of that tree. So it it was a compromise in obedience to the command of God. That was in Adam's case. In Abram's case, it was heeding the voice of Sarah was a compromise of faith in God's promise. So one was a a compromise in in obedience. The other was a compromise in faith. And I want to share this for husbands and wives because I think it goes both ways. You should not heed the voice of your spouse. You should not, I hear the gasps coming up right now. Uh, You should not heed the voice of your spouse if what they are suggesting is going to result in a compromise of either your obedience to God or your faith in God. If, it's a, if they're wanting you to compromise your faith or your obedience to God, you shouldn't obey. You shouldn't heed their voice. I want to give you an example, and I'm going to bring it home. I've shared this example in different ways to you guys before, so some of you have probably heard this before. But I used to work for a rather large corporation. You know when they go on the game shows, they always say, I work for a large corporation. It's like, well, what one? They never share it, so I'm not going to share it either. This isn't a game show, by the way, but... <laughs> But I used to work for a rather large corporation, and uh, uh, and we were here in uh, Minnesota, and uh, at one point, they really wanted me to move out to California. We had started in California, we came out here, they wanted me to move back to California, and uh, we kind of liked it here in Minnesota, but they wanted us to move back to California, and so they gave me an incentive. They gave me a, a rather large bonus to relocate. Now, at the time, it was $25,000, okay? It was like, that's a big chunk of money. They said, all what you got to do, we'll give you $25,000. All you got to do is move out to California. You got a job there. You already got a job, so you don't have to look for a job. You know, you move out there. We'll even move you out there. And uh, once you get out there, the only condition is you got to sign a document saying you'll stay here for three years. Because they were afraid people were going to go, yeah, we'll take the money, go out there and then turn around and come back, you know, with pocket $25,000. So I had to sign a document saying, yes, I will go, and yes, I will gladly receive that money, which, by the way, after taxes, was 16000 So it was just like, <laughs> Uncle Sam got a big bonus. But, but still, at that time, it just seemed like a lot of money. Um, but... Uh, I had to sign a document saying, I'll stay there for three years. And if I reneged on my end of the deal, I was obligated to pay that money back to this company. So, okay. So I'm like, okay, hey, let's do it. Well, guess what? I got back there, and the job situation I was in was miserable. I hated it. I was working nights. Not that that was bad, because I've worked nights so many years. But just the whole situation, it was a very high pressure. It was the management was just, it wasn't good. I felt like I was being mistreated as an employee. I felt like I wasn't getting the, a fair shake and everything and being taken advantage of. And so midway through, man, I was ready to quit. I was so fed up. And in fact, some of my coworkers, they felt the same way. It wasn't just me. They actually literally quit and got jobs at other companies and said, hey, come over to this company. They're, you know, I, I've got an in and I'll get you into this company and stuff. And so there was all this temptations for me. And uh, so I went and I shared it with my wife. Hey, this plan makes rational sense. Let's go. Let's, let, I'm going to quit this job and I'll go. But you know what she said to me? She said, man, you gave them your word. I go, well, yeah, 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 but, but I'll pay it back because we didn't spend it because I was afraid, but <laughs> we kept the money. But she said, you gave them your word. 
what, what is that going to look like to them? And uh, guys, don't you hate it when your wives are right? You know they're right? I mean, I, it's like... So anyway, so I ended up not doing it, right? Okay. Well, Abram here heeded the voice of Sarah. Sarai, excuse me. It says there, Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Now, who is Hagar, the Egyptian? Well, guess what? She's the product of an earlier compromise of faith on the part of Abram. Remember when they went down to Egypt and he was the brother, the future brother-in-law of the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was giving him stuff. One of the things that he gave was slaves. He gave slaves to Abram or servants to Abram. And uh, so, that, so Hagar was actually a gift to, to Abram. But it was, uh, if he hadn't gone down to, to Egypt in the first place, if he had stayed in Canaan, they wouldn't even had Hagar wouldn't even been a being a possibility because she wouldn't he wouldn't have had her. You know, there's always repercussions when we compromise in our walks. There's always repercussions. Well, verse four of chapter sixteen says, "So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes." Listen, this is a you might go. Well, what's going on here? Listen, up until this point. Up until this point, their lack of having children physically, it could have either been an issue with Abram, he could have been impotent, or the issue could have been with Sarai, right? She was barren or unable to conceive. But now that Hagar has a child, it's kind of obvious where the problem lies, right? It's not Abram's issue, it's Sarai's issue. And uh, so it was obvious that Sarai could not conceive, at least at this point. And in a patriarchal society that that was, children were highly valued and being a barren woman was looked down. So Hagar, she's pregnant. She starts looking down at, at uh, uh, Sarai, her mistress. And she starts exhibiting pride over Sarai. And what does Sarai do? Look at verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Now, guys, do you hear something wrong there? It's like, wait a minute. Can you hear Abram? Hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Hold the bus. There's no buses yet, but hold whatever. Hold the chariot. Um, hey, that was your suggestion. It wasn't my idea. It was your idea. I mean, that's right. I mean, that's what I would have said if Teresa had said that to me. <laughs> well, let's see. Whose fault was it? Again, Hagar wouldn't even have been an option if Abram had not wavered in his faith earlier. Hagar wouldn't even have been an issue. Okay. Abram should have been the one to admonish his wife to trust in the Lord and wait upon him. So yeah, the responsibility for this mess does land at the feet of Abram. Listen, if you're a husband or you're a dad here this morning, maybe you're both, like it or not, the Lord has called you to lead your family. You're the head of your wife, Scripture says, even as Christ is the head of the church. That's just, just, just a fact. And how was Jesus the head of the church? Listen, he laid down his life for his bride, for his church. You know, some guys, they mistake headship for a head trip. It's like, hey, 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 I'm the man. I'm the husband, man. I make all the decisions. My wife just needs to submit to me in everything. That's a head trip, okay? That's not headship. Headship means loving sacrifice. 
And sometimes it means having to say difficult things to your wife. Sometimes it results in that. Sometimes it means having to make an unpopular decision for the family because God ultimately, listen guys, the buck stops with you. It's interesting, you know, if we were doing a men's meeting right now, I could really go off and just like pour it on you guys and share stuff that, you know, women shouldn't hear, right? But we're not. This is mixed company here. So we're not going to, we're going to end it right there, okay? The buck stops with you guys. That's why you guys go to men's retreats, by the way. I encourage you to go. You're going to hear from a man's perspective. You're going to be encouraged from a man's perspective. No frilly, foo-foo stuff. You're just, they're going to let just tell it like it is, right? Okay, anyways, just trying to encourage you guys to to go to one of them, or both. Um, But God's going to hold you, and he's going to hold me responsible for the direction of our family, the direction that our family and our marriage takes. That's That's just the way it is, guys. But you know, when you go into the New Testament, the Bible has a lot to say about how the body of Christ is to treat one another. In fact, it's a very fascinating study. If you get all the one another's, look up all the one another's with your concordance. It's a fascinating study of all the verses that say one another, how we're to treat one another. Well, guess what? It doesn't just mean your brothers and sisters. One another is not just your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, but it's your brother or your sister in your marriage. If your brother, if your husband or wife is is a believer, they're also your brother and sister in the Lord. So those one another verses apply in those situations too. According to the New Testament, Ephesians 4, 2, it says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Maybe your spouse is a bear right now, but you're to bear with them in love. Ephesians 4, 25, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speaking truth to one another. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Again, that applies in a marriage. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Your spouse may be deceived in their sin, and you're called to exhort them. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And you know, people, some Christians think they know better than God when they're looking for a spouse. Hey, you know what? It's okay if they're not of the same faith as me. It's okay. We we have this chemical you know we're 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 in love you know and it's just we're 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 like soulmates you know and it's just and yet they don't realize god doesn't just say hey i I don't want you to marry an unbeliever because of whatever reason there's benefits there's blessings in being married to another believer because they can encourage you they can speak the truth they can stir you up to good works an unbeliever won't do that so it's a very important. God knows what he's talking about when he says, hey, don't be unequally yoked. For those of you that aren't married here, younger people, man, take heart that. Please take heart that because you'll save yourself a lot of misery. You can speak to people here that have been married that know that situation. You can save yourself a lot of misery if you start out with God's will by marrying a, someone who's a believer just like you are. Listen, Ecclesians, Ecclesians, <laughs> It's a new book of the Bible. I just came up. 
Yeah, would you turn your Bibles to Ecclesians chapter 16? No, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Listen, there's going to be times in your life, in the life of your marriage, where one spouse is going to be a little stronger or walking a little closer with the Lord or whatever, and the other one may be a stumbling or whatever. And that you, you guys have that blessing, that ability. One spouse may need to exhort, admonish, or encourage the other in their walk. That's why two are better than one. It's a blessing. Well, Abram failed to do that in this situation. He failed to encourage his wife or admonish his wife or, or speak the truth or whatever. And so, in reality, yes, he does shoulder the blame in this situation. Verse 6. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her, from her presence. And so here, Sarai, you know, she purposely made, made Hagar's life miserable to the point that Hagar flees from their presence. Verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring, in the wa- a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Listen, when you read in the Old Testament, it says the angel of the Lord. It's always a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, which Jesus Christ. It was, this was, a, this was the Lord himself appearing, and it wasn't the Father appearing. Why? Because John 1.18 says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So if you put all these scriptures together, it, it was Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate, the Son of God appearing to uh, Hagar here in the wilderness. Verse 8, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Sarai's maid, excuse me, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. You know what's fascinating when I look at that? It's interesting. The Lord calls her by her name, Sarai, Hagar's maid. It's like, why why are you saying where am I going, where I'm coming from? You, You know who I am. You know where I came from. I'm Sarai's maid. What's the Lord doing here? See, the Lord knows who she is. The Lord knows where she is going, uh, coming from and where she's going. Hagar had despised Sarah, her mistress, right? She had elevated herself above Sarai because Sarai was the problem. Sarai wasn't, the, wasn't having children, and Hagar was able to. So she, in pride, was looking down on Sarai. And so by the Lord saying, Hagar, Sarah has made, the Lord is reminding Hagar of her place. Hey, she is Sarai's maid. And although it didn't feel like it to Hagar at the time, being the mother of, of Abraham's, Abram's son meant that indirectly she was blessed because of Abram. There was an indirect blessing upon her life because of Abram. And no, it wasn't right necessarily that, in fact, it probably wasn't right that Sarah was mistreating Hagar. Um, But listen, Hagar was running from a place of blessing to her homeland in Egypt. You might say, well, wait, but but she was being mistreated. She's going back to Egypt, man, back to her home. I mean, she's getting out of a difficult situation. Listen, she was a slave in Egypt. She was a slave in Egypt 
to Pharaoh. And so she would probably return, not as a free woman, but she'd probably return back into slavery. And this time she'd be under the hands of godless men instead of Abram, who was a God-fearing man. So, so she's actually going from what she thinks is a worse situation, she's going into a worse one. So the Lord is reminding her of where she came from and where she was heading into. And you know, the Holy Spirit sometimes does that for you and, all, for you and I as well. Hey, where, where did you just come from? Where, think back to where you were. Do you see where you're going? Where, do you see where you're heading? The Holy Spirit does that sometimes. And so Hagar says to the angel of the Lord, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. What was the word of the Lord to Hagar? Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. He didn't say anything about the harshness. He said, just return and submit to her. You know, when things get tough for you and for me, you know what the inclination of our flesh is? Well, we know what the inclination of our flesh is. It's to flee. We want to get out from underneath that affliction. We want to escape out from under that affliction. That example that I shared with you, things were tough in my job at one point, and I wanted to flee. And the Lord, through my wife, reminded me who I was, where I came from. Hey, you're a man of your word. Hey, you're a man who trusts in the Lord even in the middle of a difficult situation. And I had forgot that. I didn't, I didn't want to think about that. But that was a reminder to me. Hey, who are you? Where have you come from? Where are you heading? What's your reputation going to be if you flake out? She didn't say it in that many words, but that was what she meant. That's what the, that was the message to me. And so the Lord's message through her to me was, hey, submit to your employer. Yeah, they may be, maybe they're mistreating you. Maybe they're, uh, you know, but submit under their hand. And you know what? I did. I went ahead and I stuck it out. And later on, the Lord did move me, but it was according to his will, not my will. And it's always better to let the Lord do those things rather than us try to do it ourselves. You see, don't always look at a trial or a difficult situation or affliction as something you need to escape from. Now, that's a tough thing to say, but it's true. Listen, James says this in James 1, verse 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, there's sometimes, in fact, I'd say all the time, there's a purpose. And the Lord wants to do a work in you through that situation. And if you escape from that situation, you're always running from it. How's the Lord going to do that growth in your life? Creating patience or forbearance or, or whatever it is, humility, whatever, whatever it might be. How's the Lord going to produce that fruit in your life if you're not in a situation where that fruit has an opportunity to be born in you? Listen, the Lord didn't tell Hagar he would change her situation when he got back. He's like, oh, I'm going to make it all better for you, Abram. Or Hagar, just go back. Things will be better. No, he just said, 
just trust me, submit and obey. Just, just trust me. And so uh, here it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Hagar, you're going to have a child and I'm going to bless that child. The Lord is faithful to his word. Ishmael did in fact become the father of the Arab nations. He did in fact become a wild man too, by the way. And he did in fact, his hand was against every man, every man's hand against him. History bears it out when you look at his descendants. Listen, Abram's decision to go down to Egypt instead of trusting in the Lord's provision resulted in acquiring Hagar. Abram's decision to heed his wife Sarah and have a child by Hagar resulted in the birth of the Arab nations. And guess what? The children of Israel and now even the nation of Israel have been paying the price for Abram's failures ever since. They've been, they've been dealing with this issue ever since. All the way. You know, sometimes the decisions that we make we think, oh, there's, you know, it's just, it's just affecting me here and now. I'm just going to do this, you know. But we don't realize that there can be far-reaching generational issues that, that, that you don't know. You don't know. And so the angel of the Lord says, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Ishmael, his name means God will hear See, the Lord knew what was going on. The Lord saw her affliction. The Lord knew her. The Lord saw the tears that she was shedding. The Lord's heard your affliction. He knows what you're going through. And I can share with you this morning, maybe you feel like you're in a hard spot. Maybe you're in a very unfair situation. You're like, man, I just want to escape from this. The Lord hears you. He knows where you're at. He sees where you're at. And he loves you, by the way. He loves you. Genesis 16, verse 13. Then the angel, excuse me, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. She named the Lord. Hey, you're the God who sees. Jehovah El Roy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's the God of vision or seeing. I want to share this with you. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Nothing escapes God's notice. You're not forgotten. You're not being... He sees what you're going through. Nahum 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Are you afflicted this morning? Are you in a difficult situation? Hey, the message of the word of the Lord to you is the Lord is good. He's not evil. He's not against you. He's not not punishing you. The Lord is good. And if you flee, here's where you should flee. Wait, wait, you shouldn't flee. No, you should flee. You should flee to your strong tower. You should flee to the Lord. The Lord is a stronghold in the day of trouble. You have difficult, go to the Lord. Run to him. Bury yourself in him. Just, just come to him because he hears you and he loves you and, he, and, he, and he'll give you the strength 
in your difficult situation. The Lord knows who trusts in him. Well, scripture doesn't tell us specifically, but we can infer that evidently Hagar did obey the voice of the Lord and she went back to Abram and Sarai and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't a fairy tale, right? This is, that's the way the fairy tales end. That's not the way scripture ends. In fact, next week we'll find out some more stuff. But we don't know because scripture doesn't tell us. But I presume that they did get at least a little bit better. Why? Well, Hagar evidently did relate the Lord's meeting with her to Abram and Sarah. Why? Because verse 15 and 16. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86-year-old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Ishmael was the first person in the Bible to be named before he was born. Very first, That's interesting. And he's the father of the Arab nations. Fascinating. Abram must have believed Hagar that the Lord had visited her and the Lord had spoken to her and he named her what the Lord said. Hey, name the, or name the son, name him Ishmael. And so Abram obeyed. So again, scripture doesn't tell us, but I think Abram feared the Lord and it's like, whoa, this is okay. And who knows how, what he told Sarah or whatever. So I want to encourage you this morning. We're at the end of our chapter. If you want to go ahead and stand up, I want to just, uh, we'll pray together. But I want to encourage you this morning. I want to pray for two groups of people. First of all, I want to pray for those that are in marriages. Because marriage isn't always easy, and I know it isn't. I'm married. <laughs> um, and Teresa never has an easy time with me. Um, but uh, seriously, I want to pray for the marriages in this, in this room here. Um, and I also want to pray for those that are going through a difficult situation. I'm not going to have you raise your hands. Um, because I don't need to know, but the Lord knows, right? The Lord sees you. And so let me just pray for you guys. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word, um, the example that we saw this morning in Sarai and Abram. Lord, I pray for those that, uh, Lord, maybe they're waiting, and they feel like you've forgotten about them. Lord, maybe they feel like uh, not now means no, and they're tempted to take matters into their own hands. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, that they would just continue to wait upon you and to trust in you. Lord, for those that are in marriages, Lord, that are maybe, maybe it's a difficult marriage, Lord, and their spouses, it's just, it's just a hard situation they're in, Lord. I pray that you would give them the courage, Lord, to, to be the one to admonish or exhort or forgive or, or can stir up to good works, Lord, to, to encourage their spouses. Lord, give them the strength to do that, Lord. And I pray for all the husbands and fathers here, Lord. Lord, we, we know that this responsibility of being the head, Lord, it's not always an easy task. Lord, sometimes we have to be the bad guy. We have to be the one that makes the unpopular decisions. Lord, I pray that you would give each husband and father in this room the courage to be the godly men, to stand up for righteousness in their families. And Lord, I also pray for those that are uh, Lord, in, in any kind of affliction, Lord, whether it's a, a job situation, maybe it's a medical situation or a marriage situation or whatever it might be, Lord, um, Lord, you know their situation. You know that they're there, Lord. Give them the strength and the hope and the courage, Lord, to stick it out, Lord, and not to try to escape, but to, to allow you to do a work through them even in that situation, Lord. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters that are in a hard time right now, Lord, that you would produce the, the fruit of perseverance, Lord, the fruit of patience, 
the fruit of, of, of just being humble and, Lord, of, of being able to empathize with others later on that, that might go through the same thing, Lord, that they can encourage others through what they've gone through. Lord, I just pray for them. And, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning, and I pray your blessing upon your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.